to take a seat. In a moment, uh, Owen is going to speak uh, on the last of our uh, Things We Don't Understand series. Uh, but first, Alan is going to come and read to us from the Bible. This morning's, uh, this morning's reading is taken. This morning's reading is taken from the book of Thessalonians, chapter four, verses thirteen to eighteen. And if you're using the church Bibles, it's on page one one nine eight. Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen to eighteen. In the NIV Bible, it's entitled these words, The Coming of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we are still alive who are left to the coming of the Lord and will certainly precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Thanks, Alan. Kind of out of this world, really, you could say. We are, no, before I begin, I had to say something. Laura came over to me explicitly in the break just to make sure I made it clear that although on that internship pitch, we're pitching it sort of 18 to 25, actually there's no real reason. There's no strict cutoff or, or um, so don't be constrained by that in your um, wonderings, in your imaginings as to who could be a part of that for next year. So we are continuing with our year of biblical literacy. And we are this morning asking, um, this is the fourth part. We've, been, we've got to this point where we're asking, okay, God, I don't understand some stuff. And there's been four um, difficult topics along the way. This fourth one, um, we're talking about questions of the end times. You know, how do you wrap your head around some of this stuff uh, that we haven't quite got to yet in the daily readings, but will be coming up uh, pretty soon. But before we get going, with these confusing questions of the end of the world, here's a 20-second trailer for you to watch. And I think this is the best um, premise for a short TV series that I've come across uh, in a long while. So check out this. See that? That's the apocalypse. It's going to kill everyone. I can see clearly now the rain is well, not everyone. 
34 days ago I'd never met these people, but then our lives collided. Funny, only when we knew we were going to die did we truly start to live. Anyone see that show? No. You did? We have one. I thought it was a bit disappointing, actually, after the like, premise that absolutely captured my imagination. So you've got 34 days until the end of the world, which is just long enough for, like, to, you know, you get past the blind panic and there's, like, space to make some measured decisions. What are you going to do with your final 34 days? What would you do? I love a good, like, you know, apocalyptic drama. It sort of strips away some of the, the nonsense in life. It, it kind of reveals, like, what, what is it we value? How are we going to order society then with that, all of that taken away? And it uh, reveals who we are. I was having just this conversation with um, some people, like the 34-day the long question, what would you do with your last 34 days? And we concluded that it would probably bring out the very best or the very worst in us. And you can't really say until you step into that situation. But either, you know, it sends people into terrible binges as they kind of try to like block out this impending doom, or actually it would force us to, compel us to, to cling to those we love the most, to say the things that we always wish uh, we'd said. All of that stuff. I wonder, you know, and this really set my imagination going, like what, what would actually happen? What work would continue to get done? Would police still turn up for their jobs? Emergency medics? Whose sense of vocation would carry on into these, uh, these last 34 days? And for how long? Would, you know, in, there, in, the, in the series, there's someone who like, reads the news right up until the end. Would there be someone who felt called on behalf of humanity to like, carry on reading the news into like, that last moment? I don't know. Would broadcast media infrastructure still be able to... How long would that continue? I don't know. We concluded, actually, that what I think would happen anyway is that motorways would clog up as people you know, did the rounds visiting um, friends and family. And so from that point of view, you can interpret Christmas, the Christmas season, as a kind of sort of dress rehearsal for the end of the world. <laughs> what I like to think that I would do is come down here, open the door, and, and just like have regular meetings on the hour, every hour perhaps giving people the chance to, to come, be together, to pray, to hear the good news about Jesus Christ and God's love for them, to locate themselves within the love of God before judgment day, apocalypse, call it whatever, is, is coming. Can you imagine that? I'm pretty sure Barbara and Alan would be on the door as well, like ushering people in, John Taylor might be there. Um, it would be great. It wouldn't be great, but... I say all of this to get your imaginations going, because when it comes to like, all this stuff about the end of the world, it seems to me that actually we, we kind of really struggle to, to imagine some of it. There's like this failure of imagination. When we read some of these Bible passages, like, really, how could that be? Um, we have Alpha around at our house. Um, we've been having it this, this year, a small little um, Alpha course. And uh, about week two or week three, it got into like, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? That one, you know. And it's all going around regular stuff until um, Mary. Is Mary here? Mary Bashford. She's not. King to Mary. And um, she had a great question, but she rather cryptically just put in, how long? And that's a fantastic question. Like, right out of the Psalms, how long 
O Lord. And we might add this week, how long will this pain and this suffering continue? Will, how long will bombs continue to be set off? Will children continue to die? This is like a deep cry of the human spirit. How long, O Lord? The problem at Alpha was that um, not everyone kind of had that frame of reference yet for, for understanding Mary's question. So one of the others asks, what do you mean, how long? And um, Mary's like, well, how long until Jesus comes again? And the other person's literally like, come again? You know? <laughs> what, what on earth do you, are you talking about? At this point, Mary looks at me like, week two of Alpha, sorry, we, we were not supposed to go, <laughs> go here with this stuff. So that cues me, you know, the sort of responsible one to set off on my whistle-stop tour of, um, you know, end times theology in two minutes, how we fully expect Jesus to come again, how God's going to call enough, call time on all of the current state of things, the pain and the suffering that will be uh, resurrection and judgment and uh, new heavens and new earth going forward. And as I'm listening to myself talk through this stuff, I'm thinking, this sounds relatively crazy. Like, first time round, Jesus take one. We kind of get that. You know, Mary, Joseph, donkey, uh, Christmas, Easter. It, all, it was all there in front of us. You know, it happened. We, 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 we saw it collectively as a, a humanity. We, we can read about it. We can, you know, there it is. But then Jesus coming again, you know, how's that going to work? appearing to everyone at once? Like, what about the people on the wrong side of the, the globe, or people who are asleep when that happens, or uh, people who've just sat down for dinner? You know, is this going to be some global broadcast event? If so, which channel it's going to be on? And quickly, it sounds ridiculous. And some people are like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's clear how it's going to be. And they open the Bible, and you turn to passages like 1 Thessalonians 4, and you say, look, there it is. We will meet him in the air, and then we will be like him. But then most of us are like, that doesn't really answer the question as to how it's going to be. And like, is all this like end time stuff for, you know, the specialist area for religious weirdos or people a bit off center? But then no, we look on our creeds and here is the faith of the church. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. A little bit later, it says he rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. And maybe it's not the incredulity of like, how on earth could that work. Uh, maybe it's deeper questions. And this is kind of like the deep question that's been going on these last four weeks. Is God actually good? Jesus coming back to judge the living and the dead. How does the God who condemns, judges, condemns, how does that square with the God who loves us? So we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I probably won't go there, um, you know, into some of the details and some of the debates and uh, some of the stuff that some of you might want, you know, what does Owen think about? Millenniums or blah, 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 blah. Um, I could point you to this book, and the Lamb Wins uh, by Simon Ponzi, which is a good sort of smattering of uh, all of those stuff. The small group notes have got other resources that will point to you to in, in some of these questions, so look out for those. But we're going to have a good go at um, covering some of the ground this morning. So here we go. In a sense, first thing to say is that all 
Christian theology is end-time theology. So I don't know if there's any kinesthetic learners amongst us who like to like move or tie knots on string to help us learn. Uh, this is your moment. For those of you who don't, don't worry, you can just sit there like this. Um, but you, you are invited to join me um, with your two hands and going like this. So the um, Old Testament, the Jewish prophets, they wrote about um, the day of the Lord. And so this was the, the present age. Imagine if you were in prison and you had your prison tattoos here. This one would say longing. You haven't got enough fingers, I know, but just go with me. Longing. Um, and this one would say kingdom come. Okay? So this is the present age. Um, it might be better on a timeline if it's going your left to right to do this one. This is the present age. Um, and then this is the, the kingdom come. This is the age to come. This is when there's going to be an end to all the suffering, everything made right. And they, they talked about this, this cataclysmic day of the Lord, when the, God's kingdom was, God was finally going to come. The, the Messiah would usher in this day of the Lord, complete with a general resurrection and judgments, and there'd be an end to all the pain and the suffering into this, this new age. And then the surprise with Jesus was that this new age has begun, this day has dawned. The new age has begun. The kingdom is coming, but slowly, like a seed, like a mustard seed that was going to begin small and grow large. And so the prophet Joel, he prophesied that in that day, um, the spirit would be poured out and young men would dream dreams and your daughters would prophesy. And then Acts 2, it's like, no, this, that day, this is happening here. The spirit is poured out. Jesus is resurrected, but not yet all of us. So we have this overlap of the ages and we talk about the kingdom being now and not yet. So now the spirit is poured out, but not yet are all things sweetly ordered under God, evidently. Now Jesus has risen, not yet, for all of us. So this is the sort of big framework for the, making sense of the whole of the New Testament. This is how we make sense of our present reality. We live within this, this tension and this now and this not yet, where there is a profound shaking, uncomfortable many times, and there is a profound presence of God. These are apocalyptic times where, where things get revealed. I don't know what the most elaborate marriage proposal story is that you've ever come across. I went for it a bit with ours. The best bit about my marriage proposal to Laura was that I had bought some fireworks. They weren't very expensive. I didn't, hadn't bought fireworks before, but they were quite large. And I had um, I'd given them to her friend, um, and I had, had him on speed dial on my phone in my pocket. And, as I, and I, my plan was, once Laura had said yes, um, that I was going to just call her friends subtly in my pocket, and then these fireworks would go off. Just like... <laughs> Remote control fire. It was, it was amazing. Like, so I'm waiting like, a good 15, 20 minutes in position for Laura to come around the corner and be surprised. And the, the temptation just to like, I just knew I had to press one button and fireworks would go off. And I had to kind of like hold it together like, not yet, not yet, not yet. And it was good. The, the, um, one of the best ones, I, I had a friend who uh, hired out a whole cinema. Um, you, I don't know how much that cost. Um, hired out a whole cinema. And, and then in the middle of the film, like, something came up and, Catherine, will you be uh, my wife? Or, I don't know, will you marry me? Um, the Bible, 
talks about the end of the world as a wedding, this, this wedding of God and humanity, Jesus and his bride, this coming together of, of heaven and earth in this kind of sweet togetherness, as things are always meant to be. The marriage proposal that has redefined, the most epic marriage proposal that has redefined the whole of the universe has been given at much greater cost than hiring out a cinema. But the wedding has not yet taken place. This is the overlap of the ages that we find ourselves in. Jesus has come, he's paid for it, he's won it, and now he's ascended as we've been remembering today, ascended to the highest place, but we wait for him to come and claim it. That's the big expectation of the whole of the New Testament, that Jesus will return. This is the bottom line, that history is going somewhere, that this cycle of violence and oppression, of pain, retaliation, alienation, all of that stuff, that's not our destination. There will be an end to the bombs, and so we pray, thy kingdom come. We pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Okay, even with that framework in place, um, within that framework, you get these windows on what's gonna, you know, how things are gonna be, um, some of the component parts of kind of gazing at this culmination of the kingdom fully coming, how, you know, all of, those, all of those details. They can be really difficult for us to make sense of, um, even with that, that framework in place. Um, for a number of reasons, just want to flag up a couple of difficulties. I have a little warning sign for you. Firstly, um, a load of these windows that we get, the book of Revelation, you know, is, is case in point, really. Um, for st- these things are stacked with picture language um, and idiom. By idiom, I mean those like phrases that um, you kind of have to be in on to know what they mean. Like, it's raining cats and dogs. Uh, it's not literally cats and dogs and pets falling out of the sky is a phrase. We all know that. Tell Karis, Karis, you need to hold your tongue. And then you turn around and she... Yeah, if she's not yet in on the, the idiom, and all language works like that, the language that the Bible was written in is no exception. And so what do we have in our passage in 1 Thessalonians 4? Um, we have trumpets sounding. This is a classic picture of the arrival of God. Riding on the clouds. Again, Yahweh is repeatedly pictured in the Old Testament as these clouds of glory that that surround him. The Son of Man in Daniel will come, clouds uh, of of glory. So it's it's not saying physically this is how it's going to look. Actually, these are picture language to get at the meaning of, of who Jesus is and that he is going to arise. Um, what else to say? Oh yeah, the phrase, in the air, um, is, is one of these idiomatic phrases. So um, it's been used to kind of build this theory of, of Christians kind of being swept up into the air, um, and then actually, um, uh, many scholars think that, that the phrase meant, uh, you know, fresher, essentially. It was like a, a phrase of, oh, I'll, meet you, I'll meet you in the air, which was like, let's get out of the city, the smelly city, and let's I'll meet you in the air. Um, air is also used, you know, another theory of interpretation. You have Satan described as the ruler of the air, so there's this kind of um, realm of authority that's being referred to, perhaps. Either way, it's not this literal 
um, language. There's that uh, uh, language of rapture. Um, it's like all the Christians will be raptured away. Um, that's a mistake, I think, of building off a couple of these verses to get this picture that actually is at odds with the rest of the windows on how things are going to be. Um, it's coupled in the air. We will meet him. That meet him word is the word uh, for welcoming royalty or a welcoming the, the, the really important person. So the idea is of coming out of the city to welcome Jesus in his return. It's this picture of welcoming. That's the direction of things. Heaven meets earth. Uh, God coming to be with his people, not us all being whisked away and screw the rest of them uh, and writing off the planet Earth. No. And it has implications, you see, for things like how we treat the planet or um, what we think is going to happen to everyone else and, and things like that. So it is quite important. Um, that's what's going on with that confusing phrase in the air that conjures up something in our lack of idiom-aware minds. You know what I'm saying? Two more things that can get in the way are ascension that we've been remembering, this, this moment of Jesus coming on the clouds to heaven, and also the events of AD 70, which we're largely ignorant of. In AD 70, the Romans came in and absolutely destroyed uh, the Jewish temple, like flattened it entirely. That's an event that is being anticipated by Jesus in places like Mark 13, uh, Matthew 24. Um, and so then when, when Jesus says at the end of like talking about this, this uh, coming on the, the clouds in glory and not one stone is going to be left on another and the, the destruction and the judgment uh, that he's anticipating there, primarily he's talking about the ascension, the events of AD 70, which is why then at the end of it he says, and I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until these things have happened. That isn't the most embarrassing verse in the Bible, as, as C.S. Lewis has said, as Jesus got it wrong. 79 generations later, and we're still, you know, waiting. <laughs> no, Jesus is primarily referring. There could be some, like, after echoes into, um, you know, that judgment, a picture of the coming judgment. And actually, primarily, he's referring to ascension and the events of AD 70. And that gets in the way of our reading of these passages. We instantly assume, oh, let's try and how does this work with this and that. All of this to say that I would steer real clear of attempts to work out, you know, a carefully detailed system of exactly how it's going to be or when these things are going to happen. These detailed systems that are built on just a couple of difficult to understand verses looking for signs for the end of the age, all of that stuff. I think it's a waste of precious energy. I rather like how Rowan Williams commented on all of this, and he said, for all we know, we still are the early church. You know, what if there's another 6,000 years of church history that's, that's gonna play out, or more? You know, some of our imaginings of how's it gonna work, or which TV channel, is it just gonna, it's gonna be entirely different kind of, it makes it futile, <laughs> all of the energy we spend on, on trying to work out this stuff. The point of these windows, these passages, the point, if you read the context of 1 Thessalonians 4, is not so that they could be like, you know, have their detailed system of knowing exactly how things are gonna be. The point is to get them living right today. And here's what I really wanna say. All of this end of the world stuff is not, does not spell fear and doom Actually, it reveals a hope and it reveals a clarity 
and it reveals a freedom. Now, end of the world stuff does not spell fear and doom. It reveals a hope and a freedom now. There is such hope. There is such freedom in 2017 for us as we, for one Sunday, and I don't know how many, just look at this kind of end times picture of things that the Bible gives us. So really quickly, hope, freedom, clarity. It's hope because the story is going somewhere. History is going somewhere. Some are really good. There will be an end to the bad stuff. There will be all manner of deliverance and peace and consolation. And in this overlap of the ages, we are those who are called to carry this hope that is coming now, to offer it to others. We are people of the resurrection, so despair is not an option. And as we live into that glorious future, what do we find? We find freedom. You are not, in fact, destined to be like you are today. What did that passage say? St. Paul writing to the Thessalonians, we'll meet him in the air outside the city to welcome God with us, and we will be like him. The most fully human human that has ever been. The most fully human version of you that you were always destined to be. That's who you will be. That's who you're destined to be. So your life is not defined by that mistake or by that thing that was done to you. You're not destined to just go round on repeat in that self-destructive cycle. Actually, the Spirit of God is poured out and we can live into that future now. And as we live into that glorious future, we find freedom. We find... If I said that, we'll be like him. All of that stuff is on repeat in my notes that I've just said. Basically, we're part of the bride of Christ. That's who we are. We are loved. We're getting married. That's important. The other thing to say on freedom is that when you contemplate the end of the world and judgment day, you realize with great relief that you are not sat on the seat of judgment. Look up there, we have a picture just to reinforce it to us. There will be a judgment day, but that is not your seat, and that is not my seat. It's already taken, and that's a great relief. So that when, someone, when my friend comes up to me and says, you know, so at the end of the day, do you think I'm going to hell? Actually, my heartfelt answer is, that is not my call. I have, I'm in no position to judge that. And in fact, it should be said, after the events of this week, that a true word of theology does not allow us to judge other people or to condemn other people, let alone to kill other people. The truth of the matter is, we're going to find ourselves on the other side of things. We will all be judged. And for those in Christ, not that we are able to draw neat lines around what exactly that means, but for those in Christ, this is not a salvation or not, whether or not we have a part of th to play in the, in, the, in the things to come. But this absolutely is a, a what have you done with the opportunities and the gifts and the, and the talents that, that I gave to you. 
read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it talks about the judgment that, you know, that, and, and what we've built with our lives. Actually, for some of us, it will be burnt away. It will have been nonsense, what we've constructed with our lives. And we will escape, as, you know, barely escape through the, through the fire of God's judgment. But for others, what they've built with their lives will endure. What a remarkable thing. You're building the kingdom. Your, your, your life's work is, 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 is part of God's perfect future. May it be for us that we reevaluate the nonsense that we so often construct our lives around. You know, that, and that's the clarity that this stuff brings. This end times perspective, thinking about these things, it should bring this clarity. What is important? What are you going to do with your last 34 days? What about that, that next big purchase that is consuming you? What about the prospect of that cosmetic surgery? The bigger, better business that you are aiming for? Or that party that you're going to throw so that you can get yourself noticed? That next layer of comfort that you're hoping to build into your life? That retirement plan? That holiday of a lifetime? Or what about building love, building fidelity, building reconciliation, building kindness, building sacrifice, building towards righteousness. And if God has given you a dream, a vision, a calling, then today's the day. Quit with the nonsense with the stuff that won't be a part of what is to come. Orientate your life around what will endure. That's the clarity. So in You, Me, and the Apocalypse, the line in the trailer, just to finish, was it wasn't until we knew that we were about to die that we truly started to live. The most epic wedding proposal has been made. There will be a wedding. And so we are called to love God and to love others. Our work is to hold on to hope and to hold out this hope because we know that history is going somewhere, somewhere really, really good. Amen. Let's stand. pray. Holy Spirit, we pray, come.
that this place now would be one of openness to you. And come and lead us into truth. Reveal your goodness to us. Reveal that you are altogether holy, altogether love, and that nothing you do comes out of a different place. And we thank you for the proposal, this most wonderful invitation to love, to an assurance of peace. John writes to the church, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. the judge is Jesus. So we begin by saying yes, saying our yes to that proposal. Thank you for your offer of love and life and forgiveness, redefinition restoration for the deepest parts and the darkest parts of our life. Thank you that you would embrace us. You'd take us. And for those amongst us who need a fresh dose of hope this morning, Holy Spirit, come and press reset on our imaginations. Show us your truth. Come and bring freedom. And come and show us the nonsense. Just highlight it to us now. Reveal our heart. Reveal your better purposes for our lives. Reveal to us sacrifices that we need to make. Remind us of the dreams. Speak your words of life. Come Holy Spirit.